Bruce Shapiro, contributing editor with The Nation and exec director of the Dart Centre for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia. Bruce, uh, let's look forward to 2024, an all-important election year. How long until the Republicans nominate, reveal their candidate? <laughs> well, first of all, let's stipulate that there, there really are good reasons to be thinking now about 2024, along with the fact that 2023 has been pretty grim in a lot of ways. But, you know, 2024, given the coming, the likely impending face-off uh, between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, and not only them as individuals, but the very different systems of American governance they represent, 2024 is likely to be one of the pivotal years in American politics. Um, I, I can't think of an election, uh, even those involving you know, Ronald Reagan, Richard Nixon, I can't think of any election in my lifetime in which the fundamental nature of American democracy was so directly uh, at stake, even more in some ways than the last time because uh, we know how much more Donald Trump has been thinking about mobilizing the engines of government for revenge and to promote himself. We know so much more uh, than we did. Um, look, the Republicans um, officially nominate their candidate um, in July, but we are going to know way sooner than that whether any of the various contenders with Trump, all of whom are now you know, so many points behind him, stand a chance of making it that long. The Iowa caucuses, the all-important first step in the Republican campaign, there's no Democratic caucuses this year, the Iowa caucuses are January 15th. And um, at that one, I think what we will know by the time you and I reconvene a week or so later um, we'll know whether Ron DeSantis, who was the favored Trump alternative of the kind of traditional Republicans coming to this, is still standing, or as seems increasingly likely, it will be um, former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley who takes up that role. We we talk, say, we'll talk a bit more about Haley shortly, but let the record show that the last three Iowa GOP uh, caucus winners, Huckabee, Santorum and uh, Ted Cruz, all failed to secure the party nomination. And that's, you know, that has been true sometimes on the Democratic side too. The, the, the caucuses are not a predictor uh, necessarily of who gets the nomination, but they are this year a pressure test for um, a, a field of Republican rivals to Trump, all of whom are 20 or 30 points behind him, but who need to, if they have any hope of continuing, uh, need to consolidate resources. The Koch brothers, you know, for example, just endorsed Haley. And well, they're, look, they're that, huge this, this I think is incredibly important. So the Koch brothers, the uh, ultra-conservative billionaire brothers yeah. who were the, the kingmakers very often in Republican politics, have dumped the Donald and backed uh, Haley. Why? Well, uh, first of all, let's uh, stipulate that one of... <laughs> One of the Koch brothers have, has uh, has passed. So, al although there is influence from the great beyond, um, 
you know, it is now only Charles Koch who's going forward to do this. Um, the Koch brothers represent the old Republican Party, the party of corporate republicanism, the party of, of big business republicanism, and the party of the kind of Reagan-era bargain uh, between social conservatism, economic libertarianism, and militarism. Right, and that is the part of the party that Donald Trump essentially cast aside. Right, it's the part that Liz Cheney represents, uh, former Congresswoman Liz Cheney, who is now, um, you know, selling her memoir about the January Sixth Committee and all of that. Um, the Koch brothers represent the the credible line of traditional Republican funding. They have lots of money. And if they're switching their bet from DeSantis, who was an early uh, enjoyed early support, to Haley, it, it 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 means that there is a recognition that Florida's governor Ron DeSantis is fading. He hasn't gained momentum. While in the Republican debates, um, Nikki Haley has shown herself someone who has been willing to challenge the other candidates at least and come out ahead in a very direct way advancing that traditional Republican agenda. It should be said that Haley has not yet challenged Donald Trump directly and in the very first debate when uh, the moderator asked which of you would be willing to uh, would any of you uh, decline to endorse Donald Trump, if he were convicted of, of a crime, only Chris Christie raised his hand, but Christie, too, who had big hopes, former New Jersey governor, is fading, and he will probably um, be either done by Iowa or by New Hampshire a week later, unless he makes an unexpected turnaround. Speaking of, uh, well, crime, uh, we could have the ruling on uh, the Donald's fraud trial as soon as next week. We could. Um, and remember that this is the civil fraud trial in New York, the one of now five different legal proceedings that the former president is tied up in and which he hopes to uh, delay until after the election in most cases. But the civil fraud trial in New York um, is wrapping up this week and sometime between now and Christmas we're likely to get a verdict. It's important to remember that in this proceeding, uh, former President Trump has already been found guilty by the judge of having defrauded the state of New York by overvaluing his properties in loan applications. Right. So the only question here, but it's a big question for the former president, consequential for both his finances and uh, his standing going forward, is whether he gets to do business in New York going forward or if he is permanently exiled, essentially. From uh, he and his family are exiled from the city that made them billionaires. Bruce, on the short list of my most memorable ever guests was uh, E. Jean Carroll, and she's taking the Donald back to court in January. What's this case about? <laughs> well, you know, you'll remember that uh, E. Jean Carroll, uh, the writer, won a civil suit against Trump last year um, for sexual abuse. It was one step below a forcible rape uh, uh, trial. Um, 
President Trump then continued to trash talk her on Twitter. And so he now is facing a second trial, this one for def- uh, this a second trial for defamation. Um, for continuing to defame her after the first defamation case, and which, which resulted in that um, in the, that sexual abuse uh, verdict, um, this is you know again goes to the heart of former President Trump's ability to use Twitter and social media the way in the, the way in which he wants to, just like in the criminal trials still pending now, going back and forth in federal appeals courts, is the gag order on him trash-talking um, the judge and court clerk in his <laughs> criminal trial. So what's at stake here in both these cases is actually kind of the fundamental dynamic in which Trump advances his increasingly authoritarian agenda through social media and his ability to... to um, to you know, attack his opponents without uh, regard to truth and without regard to normal standards. Now, the formidable E. Jean Carroll was won uh, five million in the earlier trial against Trump. She's now suing him for double that. Has she ever seen any of the money? Ah, uh, well, not yet, <laughs> and perhaps never. That's going to be you know contended through appeals for quite a while. Um, but in this case, because essentially it's a, it's a. I, I think the stakes are higher this time. Look, you can expect the court to be quite impatient with a defendant who has defied the results of a first defamation case, gone back and kept, kept on attacking the person who already won once. Um, you know. Whether and how much he ever ends up paying, we'll just have to see. But coming at a time when Trump is in the middle of his re-election campaign and trying to remain able to run politics in the in the not only deceptive, manipulative, but but vitriolic and falsehood-drenched way in which he has. It's actually a, a consequential case, I think. Now, as we've discussed in the past, being a convicted felon does not prevent uh, someone from running for president. A uh, hundred years ago, a left-wing candidate garnered nearly a million votes from behind bars. Indeed, Eugene Victor Debs, uh, who ran for president uh, during World War One. Uh, as an anti-war socialist. But, of course, Debs, Debs was the great democratic socialist who kind of launched the tradition of humane American leftism. Ironically, uh, ironically, he was put in jail by, um, by Woodrow Wilson, the democratic liberal president in many, many sort of, or de- pro-democracy president, at least when it came to America abroad, as opposed to segregation in this country. Uh, Debs ultimately was pardoned um, by the very conservative Republican president, um, Calvin Coolidge, <laughs> in the aftermath of World War One. So history takes strange terms. Um, you know, Trump is not going to go to jail before the 2024 election. Let's stipulate that. His criminal trials are now almost certain because of motions going back and forth to continue and stretch out past 
November of 2024. And this is what the president has been banking on, his uh, former president. His entire bet is that somehow he can get back into office and therefore be exempt from further prosecution for the term of that office, perhaps pardon himself. <laughs> this, is, this is the whole game. And, of course, he's coming at a time when Joe Biden faces um, an unenthusiastic electorate and a divided Democratic Party, an increasingly divided Democratic Party over Israel and Hamas. Now, let's end the year on a happy note, the uh, bizarre story of uh, George Santos, not to be confused with George Soros, the bloke who <laughs> lied and lied and lied his way into Congress and he's finally got the boot. Indeed. Uh, it takes a lot to get evicted from this Congress, but I think even uh, many Republican House members themselves in thrall to a a habitual lying circus clown of a former president found it intolerable to have a habitually lying circus clown of a colleague in the House distracting everybody from their business. And after a House ethics investigation, Santos was evicted from the scene. The locks were changed on his office within minutes of uh, the House expelling him last week. Uh, he will be gone from the American political scene. I suspect not from the American entertainment scene. <laughs> it, it, it is an irony that a, that a Republican Congress uh, managed to evict one of their own for lying while at the same time advancing um, the career of someone who by this by the time we reconvene in January will probably be that many steps closer to secure the Republican nomination. Well, I know I speak on behalf of all the Glads and Pods when I say he'll be greatly missed. I mean, here's a bloke who was accused of uh, spending campaign money on Botox, credit card debt and pornography. Now, Bruce... Thank you for all your insights this year it, from your very divided United States and you and I will have a lot to catch up on or in the new year. Bruce Shapiro, Contributing Editor with The Nation and Exec Director of the Dart Centre for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.